everyone, and welcome to the season two of Engaging Gray podcast, where we explore what it means to live engaged in the complex, ambiguous, and messy reality that is life. I'm Mary DeYoung, founder of Gray Space Collaborative, an intentional collector of diverse experiences, and your host on this podcast. In this season, we're exploring ideas around cultivating a pace of perseverance. We've already had some amazing conversations so far and even more to come. So pull up a chair and let's dive in. Um, Hi, everyone. I'm super excited to have Cole Arthur Riley with us today on Engaging Gray podcast. Cole is a writer and liturgist who serves as the content and spiritual formation manager for a center for Christian studies at Cornell University called Chesterton House. She is the creator and writer of Black Liturgies, a media project seeking to integrate the truths of Black dignity, lament, justice, and liberation into written prayer. She is currently working on a book with Penguin Random House to be released in February of 2022, and it can be pre-ordered now. Uh, The link for all of those things, as usual, will be in the description of this podcast. Cole, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I have been um, following you for some time and just have been in awe of this ability that you have to put so many of the things that we find hard to express into such beautiful words. How could you tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you define a pace of perseverance? Sure. Um, I I I think I the identity that feels nearest to me in this season is probably writer. I've been doing a lot of writer for writing for um, both Black liturgies and work and a lot of journaling since the pandemic. Um, mm. But I also, um, I'm a wife. I, I'm married. I live in a, a old brick home built in 1840 um, and live in upstate New York. Uh, when I hear the language of pace of perseverance, I think of a rhythm of life that protects you from despair or, or that allows you to encounter the beautiful and the tragedies of the world without becoming a person of despair or exhaustion. Mm. That is a beautiful description. I think um, what I what I love about your description as well is that I think we so often look at life and kind of just think that if we're going through the motions motions and getting by that we are doing okay, right? Mm-hmm. And how you just described the opposite of despair, right, is being able to engage in all the aspects of life, the fullness of all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and so often we cut ourselves off from many parts of our life that seem too overwhelming or we don't know how to engage, but how you just describe that means that no, if, if the rhythms of our life should allow us to engage in each part of each part of life and how it's been created to, you know, to be, which I think is really, really beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, it reminds me also a lot of like how you, the, the things that you write, um, you know, you write oftentimes about how God actually embodied many of these things that we cut ourselves off from. Mm-hmm. I think it was even this past weekend, you wrote one about like, you can lie down, you can take time to rest mm-hmm. and how counter that is. 
Um, how do you cultivate this pace for yourself when you're, you know, working in ministry and writing and being a creative and trying to put words to things that are so difficult? How do you cultivate this ability in these rhythms and rituals? Hmm. Yes. Um, well, I live a very quiet life. I know everyone doesn't have the privilege to, to do so, but um, I I don't think this is for everyone, but I, I actually don't have a smartphone. Um, the the only internet related thing Cole? I can do on my yes, can you hear me? I'm sorry, can you hear me? Yeah, there you are. You said you oh, don't have a smartphone, and then I lost you. Oh no, um, no worries. Yeah, I was just saying I don't have a smartphone. The only internet related thing I can do on my phone is iMessaging, so I can stay in the group text. <laughs> but if you see me post on social media, it's usually from my desktop or my husband's phone. And I think for me, it allows my work to exist without consuming me. Like, I don't want to mm. be owned by my work. I don't want to be owned by Black liturgies. And so a little bit of distance there, a little bit of quiet there has been really good for me. Mm. How do you see... Um you know, for I mean, that idea of work consuming us, I think is a very interesting idea because we, their busyness, right, is a, a status symbol. And for some people, right, like, oh, I'm so busy or I'm, I'm running over here and doing these things. And so um, is that something that you've kind of cultivated uh, over time, the ability to say, like, I don't have to define myself that way? Or has that always been something that's been um, more natural to you to, to remove your, to be able to go at a slower pace or kind of set those boundaries? Hmm. I definitely think it's been a slow growth in me. Um, I mean, I'm only 30, but <laughs> still, like, I feel like with each year that passes, I feel more grounded, more um, grounded just in who I really am and what I need hmm. and what's good for me and um for example this this might be a strange example but I don't feel a responsibility to um answer text messages in in any timely manner and sometimes at all and I a handful of years ago I thought why should everyone I've ever known enough to exchange numbers with have access to me whenever they want um Mm. I think that's actually a really (laughs) cool thing that that the demand of a text message, I, I don't like that societal <laughs> norm, honestly. <laughs> so I've stopped apologizing for not texting people back. Um, yeah. I'll just say, I didn't get to that. Um, do, you, or is this, do you still want to talk about this? You know, I'm living. Mm-hmm. <laughs> people hate yes. this. They hate to encounter this in another person. I think that's because they mm-hmm. wish they can do it. They wish it for themselves so much. It's hard to see in someone else. Oh, that's such a good point. I, um, cause I think sometimes when we, when we experience someone reacting negatively to a boundary that we've set, or we assume that they think we're wrong, mm-hmm. right. And angry with us rather than perhaps like, oh, I know you're doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. And I, it's, you know, it's shining a light on the fact that I'm not doing that. And now I have to live with that, or I have to figure out some way to either, you know, accommodate that, which means I'm going to be mad at you or like address that within myself. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. how, is, how has that looked for you in, in this growth and in setting these boundaries? Because it is very countercultural to, um, 
live slowly, to not have a smartphone, to, you know, be present actually where we are. So what does that kind of look like for you, those conversations? Hmm. I think I'm, I'm really fortunate that my, um, my kind of inner circle, uh, they know me. It, it's a small inner circle and they know me deeply enough. They know me well enough to know that um, I possess a distinct kind of capacity to engage with other people. Everyone mm-hmm. does. And mm-hmm. I think our society kind of operates um, as if everyone possesses the same capacity mm-hmm. for those things. Like I said, I don't think everyone should, you know, not have a smartphone. <laughs> I think smartphones are brilliant. They're amazing. But some of us should really consider if that is going to be um, more helpful or more exhausting and draining for us. Um, mm. And I think I have friends who really understand me as a nuanced and distinct person and are like, this is what you, this is what you need. This is, this is where you come alive is when you have a bit more distance where you have a bit more agency to say no to things. Um, but it's hard. It's, it's really tempting to want to say yes, especially if something has an economic benefit, <laughs> especially if you um, might receive some kind of affirmation or praise. It's hard to push against the culture of, of doing all the time, doing, doing, doing. Yes. Um, I experienced this a lot as an entrepreneur and the idea that as an entrepreneur, you should be going all the time, right? Because in order <laughs> to grow your business or in order to, you know, um, the, the grind and the hustle, right? Like we talk about hustle culture, and this past year for me, especially has, has marked a shift. Um, and I, I am not fully cognizant of what the shift is, but definitely noticing a shift in my own perspective to say, well, I, you know, I don't, I don't want that. Um, I don't, I don't feel like I, a should have to right? And I know that that's a privileged thing to say, but one of the things that I've been wrestling with is just because I have the privilege to say that doesn't mean that I, I can't, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, and also I want that for other people, right? If I genuinely believe that um, we should be able to find the pace that works for us, right? This whole idea of pace of perseverance and that looking unique to each of us, this is what it is for me. And I want you to have it. Now I recognize that yours may look different than mine, Um because of different life circumstances, seasons of life, opportunities, and just even how we're wired and created to be. Um, but how we, we all can encourage that in each other. Um, have you noticed for your, your inner circle as they've watched you set this like intentional um, way of living, have you noticed them also kind of saying like, yes, I want to do that and feeling maybe in some ways more freedom to set those boundaries or find that for themselves because they've been watching you do that. Hmm. Yeah. Yes. In in a way, I don't think I was necessarily the the, the pioneer in my community to start doing this. Um, I have a really fierce group of friends. They're they're they are fierce. They um they will not tolerate um bodily neglect. They will not mm. tolerate exhaustion and um if anyone's familiar with the Enneagram, I just happen to be surrounded by a lot of eights. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they are so good for me because they're not going to 
shy away from saying what needs to be said. So in a way, I think it's been kind of a communal journey of us like mm. keeping one another in check and being truth tellers to one another whenever we sense uh, a fatigue, a, a physical or an emotional fatigue in one another. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I uh, am married to an eight and I have a lot of eight friends and I also very much appreciate um the honesty that can come from, from those friends. And, but we also have to be willing to, to hear it, that feedback. And I Mm -hmm. think sometimes we aren't willing to hear that, right? Just like you said, we hate to encounter these things in other Mm -hmm. people. And so um, hopefully it means that we're around people enough that have done their own work to recognize who they are and I think that that's probably a vital piece to this, right? I, I don't have to be intimidated or offended by the, how you live your life because I'm, so, I'm secure and grounded in, you know, who I am and how I live my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so besides the, the smartphone and kind of being present, do you have any other rituals or routines, guideposts maybe even in your space that help you cultivate or maintain this pace of perseverance, especially in those moments where it's tempting to say, oh yeah, okay, I'll do that because of the you know, temptations and other pieces like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, for Lent this year, I adopted this as a, as a Lenten discipline, a daily vow of silence for the first two hours of every morning. Um, and I did it as a kind of solid spiritual solidarity with those who have had their voices repressed um anyway i i've continued it it uh, not for Mm. two hours just an hour every morning but it was so good i couldn't believe it i for a long time um and i think this is a very credible thing i was very suspicious of you know the demand for silence in terms of spirituality just because silence has been such a oppressive force Mm. Um, for the historically excluded it's been demanded of us you know a a silence and so I've been really suspicious of the practice but um, I've actually learned that I I I can reclaim it as a kind of refuge just a kind of rest you know if I'm I get very exhausted by speaking and engaging and so uh, quiet can be a, a place of restoration and a place to kind of perceive what um what sensations are in my body what needs my body has uh stillness and silence i think definitely offer that so th- mm. those are, are are rituals my friends my friends are definitely the um the fiercest guideposts <laughs> like i mm. said before they're the fiercest guideposts of like if i'm if i'm edging toward a cliff they're they're there kind of shouting <laughs> shouting for me to go in the other direction go lie down you know drink some water so that's amazing um an hour of silence well two hours of silence I mean one even if you had said 30 minutes of silence every single morning I think I would have been really impressed but the the fact that you've you extended that to an hour or two hours um I think there's a lot of practices that have been co-opted right? Mm-hmm. It, especially in, in Christianity, at least this is my, some of my perspective and how I've engaged or, 
or I felt my own body kind of reacting to people saying, oh, you should try this. You should do it. It's really good for you. And I'm always like, you know, (laughs) I don't know. I've, you know, I've seen how that's not been used. And so what, um, seeing that and how did you kind of decide that that was going to be one of your practices and what was the impetus for deciding? Yeah, I actually do want to try that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think just becoming honest with myself. So I've, Mm. um, I've always been, as a child, I think my true self is given more toward quiet. Um, I think I find a lot of liberation and listening. And uh, I think I just had to be honest about about that with myself, you know, how there are things just like sitting um, beneath the surface of your selfhood that you kind of just uh, shrug off for so long and I think in becoming honest about who I am it's like why wouldn't this be a healing force in your life and so when I started practicing it as a Lenten discipline I think it was in a bit of a kind of I don't know hero complex way maybe not hero complex but like this is this act of solidarity this beautiful you know embodied act of solidarity and I and I quickly realized it 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 was much more for me um Mm. and that was okay as well yeah that's really that's um what besides it being kind of rejuvenating for you were there any other surprises or um, findings that you had for yourself during, during that time. And as you continue to practice this ritual of silence in the morning. I, I think I'm always surprised by the thoughts that, that come after about a half hour. Um, and it's what I usually end up journaling about later on in the day. I'm always surprised of like, Oh, that, that exists in you or like, that's what's stirring in you right now. Um, Mm. it's, it, it, I don't know if this makes sense, but like the end is never what the beginning is <laughs> of like that um, kind of like silent meditation and stillness. Um, at least it's rarely, um, rarely the case that the, I end where I've begun. And so mm. I think I've been surprised by that, that it feels, even though it's this, I'm not always still sometimes I'm just silent but the, the, the earliest times I am in stillness too and it's like I'm in stillness but it still feels like an embodied activity like it doesn't feel disembodied mm. I'm, I'm becoming so attuned with all of these th- different things along the way um, all these different things about my mind and then eventually my body so I think that surprised me I, w- I would imagine that surprise that would surprise a lot of people because well, and maybe you could describe what, you know, because when I hear an hour of silence, I think of like, you're sitting in one spot and you're you know, not saying anything, but what does that look like? Can it take different shapes um, each morning for you? Or yeah, how does that um, practically kind of get lived out each morning to be silent? Yes, definitely. Um, yeah, I'm not just sitting. Uh, usually in the at the start of the morning I am it is a bit of stillness and just staring out of the window but for the most of the part I'm still going about my life um, and there are times where I have to try to communicate even with my husband and like we experience this tension that I think is really um, beautiful <laughs> actually this tension of how, how are we going to communicate what we need to communicate in this moment without words um 
And so, yeah, we still interact. I still try to get information across and love and tenderness across, of course, um, but also just practical things. Um, and it's been really fascinating to kind of see how we attune to one another in a different way, like how uh, in t- this wasn't the case in the beginning, but, you know, uh, a few weeks into it, it was like he kind of knew what I was meaning by like my facial expressions I don't know if that makes sense like he's like oh we're talking about the schedule right now you know (laughs) and it was like you have to communicate I mean we're always communicating with our bodies always Mm. but um, in the case of silence I think uh, our communication just demands more of an embodied experience and I think that's um, been really beautiful for us to pay Mm. attention to our bodies and at the start of the morning Mm-hmm. and so has he also then tried to honor the silence by not bringing in like you know extra noise or or adding these particular things does he participate as well um it's interesting we didn't ever discuss that he would do it too and so um it, it was interesting to find that he started to do it like just kind of out of his own reverence so he would like start mirroring things like like um what is it called like miming things to me and whatnot and I'm like thinking to myself why aren't you just saying this (laughs) you're not doing this practice like just speak out loud but um he doesn't and uh I think that's actually pretty yeah pretty interesting and um also another layer of beauty that it's kind of a contagious energy Mm -hmm. and we often think that contagious right? It has to be so uh, loud and, and, you know, kind of out there to like get itself across and how invitational it sounds like the silence has been uh, mm-hmm. in the morning time. Why, why do you think that it's so hard for us in our culture to practice this type of uh, these rhythms in our life? Uh, yeah. Why, why might that be so difficult for us? Do you think? Yeah, I think, Honestly, I think it's probably different for different sects of American culture. You know, those who have been historically excluded and oppressed, I think, um, were living by systems that have demanded an an exhaustion from us, have demanded a a kind of praxis of sacrificing yourself, your body, um, sometimes each other in the name of survival. And it's really diabolical, of course, because it's not, this is not how we survive. We're dying trying to have Mm -hmm. enough. We're dying trying to convince people of our dignity. Um, But for this group, I think the difficulty lies in the terror of it, the terror of resting, the terror of eating enough. What will happen if I rest? Mm -hmm. What will happen if I stop? I think that's the question that haunts us. Now, for those who have been well, I'll say for those who have largely benefited from the oppression of the marginalized and the vulnerable, I think it's probably harder to think about pacing and and perseverance because of a thirst for control and power and probably for praise, probably a lot Mm. for praise. Like, who will I be if I'm not speaking on X, Y, and Z? What will people say? Mm. Um, Or in terms of just overworking, you know, we have a lot of white people making good money right now on anti-racism, 
anti-racism work. Um, it's a paying brand at the moment. And so I think there's maybe a bit of a realization that overworking can yield more influence, money, and like I, like I said, praise. And I think the compassionate part of ourselves, I suppose you could ask why the desperation for praise for this group of people, I, I think it's, it's probably to counter the guilt that torments them. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always, what I appreciate about your answer is that it doesn't give like the surface. I mean, it, it gives like the, you know, some of the answers of, well, it's hard, like our culture values these things. Right. And so <laughs> we want praise. We want to be seen in this way, but also there's often this deeper level, mm-hmm. this underlying piece that we like to ignore. Yes. And we like to just kind of move past it and say, no, I'm sure that's not it. Or, you know, and, but when we look at, you know, people who are admired um, and they still can't stop, right. Mm -hmm. Or people who do have enough and they still can't stop. Then we have to ask ourselves, well, that, that must not be only it then, right. Mm -hmm. Because then they should have, then they, then they should be stopping or slowing down or whatever these things are. And I found so often in my life, the people who I look at and admire and say, wow, you really have figured this out about how not to run yourself into the ground. It's, um, it, it, it is oftentimes people who have had to make that hard line because it is killing them. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. And they've had to say, no, I've had to practice this because otherwise, like I would have, I wouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. Or I wouldn't be able to be here for my family, like very tangibly. And I have looked at it and said, like this whole this whole season has been women on the on the podcast, and especially, um, I've I've really enjoyed listening to to all of them, but especially, uh, you know, women who have had other identities that have often been marginalized because they have more practice at mm-hmm. perseverance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, many times I think that we, as, as white folk, don't feel like we actually have to persevere, right? Mm-hmm. We're like, we actually don't have much practice in pushing through difficult things mm-hmm. because we can ignore them or we can just remove ourselves from them. Mm-hmm. And so we don't actually know how to do it, right? Mm-hmm. And so this idea that you've been discussing is very countercultural, and we, we don't know how to do that. And I, yeah. your point about like who am I if not for these things, right, mm-hmm. is a is a huge question, and one that I don't know if many people a are willing to ask, and b if they are, I think they don't know, they don't have those fierce friends, right, mm-hmm. who are guideposts and who can accompany them in in that journey, right. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes they feel like an island, and are like well, I don't know how to be an island. I don't want to be an island. You know, we were made for connection. Um, mm-hmm. our, our bodies, our emotions, everything was, we want to be close to other people. Um, but how essential that getting beyond that surface level of like, do you need to be producing for, to provide for your family? Okay, yes. Um, are you admired and praised? Yes. Okay, well then you, you have more work to do. You have questions to ask yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you're the work that you do. Um, I mean, cause you also, right. Are you're not just a writer, but you also are a content and spiritual formation manager and in this Christian space. And so how do you find 
Um, or why do you think it is so important for folks in faith and creative work or both to cultivate this kind of pace in their life? Yes, yes. Okay, well, I'll start with um, creatives. You said people in creative work. I'll start with that because um, it's just coming to me strongly. <laughs> I, I, I really believe that every um, society needs the the vision of the artist of the creative to kind of guide us in the process of social imagination help us to reimagine a different way of being together and also to tell the truth like being James Baldwin um he talks about the artist as this emotional and spiritual historian and that the artist has to tell because nobody else can tell what it's like to be alive I'm paraphrasing mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he, and he, and he talks about um, how if artists are going to survive they ha- they have to tell the whole story and vomit the anguish up mm. which is like a, a really grotesque but also very profound so mm-hmm. I, I share that because now what are you going to do after vomiting the anguish up like if that's the role of the creative you have to rest mm. you have to hydrate you have to fill yourselves with things that are going to nourish you and not destroy you. We need um, creatives to pace themselves, to care for their bodies and minds. So I'm very protective of this. I'm very protective of, of artists and people who identify as creatives. Now, um, people of faith, I mentioned kind of pacing being maybe a protective force against despair. I think each of us needs this. Um, needs to acknowledge a kind of a kind of weakness not weakness in the pejorative sense but in in a a beauty really we are biologically Mm. and in that spiritually we are people of regeneration our bodies and minds and souls i believe are made to heal and i think pacing allows for that Uh, i love the language that you're using of pacing pacing allows for that in a really healing way it allows us to practice regeneration i've never i've never thought about that i'm sure many many folks haven't thought of their body as regenerative um but you know it's a beautiful image because right that's why our nails grow and our hair and um you know because it's we're constantly making new cells where you are regenerating Mm -hmm. and that's a really you know, as, as a person of faith myself, it's a beautiful image to be like, God has literally put reminders at your fingertips mm-hmm. about the importance of regeneration, beautiful. right? Yes. Because our nails chip or break or, and, or they're just doing the job that they're supposed to do. And yet they need more, it needs to regenerate so that it can continue doing that and like mm-hmm. literally put that at our fingertips to look at every single day as a reminder for this. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. Exactly. How, you know, when do you, do you, when you at working in the space that you do, you're, you're at a university and um, I'm not entirely sure uh, the Chesterton house, Chesterton house, if that works primarily with students or if it's, uh, or with, you know, faculty or outside folks, but mm-hmm. I, especially if you are working with students, I can imagine it's such a formative time in their life and they're pushing through, right? College, they're trying to get all of their studies done, whether they're graduate students or undergraduate students. And um, it can be a very busy time to say no and 
right? Like mm-hmm. you're going to have to leave this place and continue. So what are you doing to pace yourself? Um, mm-hmm. Do you have any conversations like that with students um, as part of your work or no? Yeah, so much. I, I feel so much of spiritual formation with students is kind of pleading with them to uh, kind of listen to their bodies and kind of listen to uh, what Thurman would call the sound of the genuine in you, like listen to to what's true of you and what, what you need so much of the work. And it's, it's really difficult. I think um, young people are, are really vulnerable in the way that they in college and in other um, spheres of life are, they're desperate for belonging. They're looking for belonging. And unfortunately academic spaces and spiritual spaces in the university context tend to require a lot of doing in order Mm. for a belonging in order for a sense of belonging I think our spiritual spaces can be so awful at this unfortunately it's like you have to come to all these things and do all these things in order to have this sense that you're a part of as opposed to on the fringes of and I think Mm. we'll have to keep doing a lot of labor around trying to make the most of the time that we have a healthy amount of time spent together mm-hmm. and um, if, if, we, if we practice intimacy a little bit better maybe we wouldn't need you know 18 field trips to thrift stores and movies and whatnot in order for connection <laughs> to happen you know maybe yeah we would be able to and there's nothing against those things I do those things with students you know yeah but um yeah just to have a a spiritual spaces that are about attuning to someone to your own body and to your own needs and your own emotional um your own emotional capacities and needs I think it's a huge Mm -hmm. part of what I do how uh, how much do you and think that knowing your identity as a deeply beloved child of God or a like a deeply beloved and worthy person um, is essential to being able to practice a pace of perseverance and to say like, I can slow down. I am not defined by what I do because I am defined as, you know, worthy and beloved. Yeah. I think it has, um, a lot to do with it. A lot to do if you feel secure in, in being loved, if you feel secure and belong in your sense of belonging. And I guess I would add like, if you um, have had some amount of your fears resolved in some way, maybe resolved Mm. isn't the best word, but like if those things are all operating together, I think it would be so much easier for people to practice a paced life so Mm. much easier. Mm. Um, As we, as we think about um, like that idea, what maybe tips do you have for folks about how to either, you know, pr- cultivate this pace of perseverance or address maybe some of those fears that they have, or, you know, find this feeling of belonging if it can be found? Like, what tips would you have for, for us as we mm-hmm. seek to cultivate this type of pace in our life? Hmm. Never good at tips. I think what's helped me is to um do some some thinking and 
practicing honesty about what role um, economic security, what role capitalism plays in my overwork, um, mm. and then what role that trauma plays in that sense. And I, I'll say those two things because that's just personal to me. Like those have been um, the things I needed to consider in order to kind of unmask my true intentions. But I think, I guess if there was a tip, it would be to travel into some of these stories that mm. have formed a, an unpaced life in you. Like, what are the stories that, um, you know, six-year-old Cole absorbed or heard or felt that made her think that in order to um, be safe, she had to always be moving, mm. you know, and to really go deep into those stories, I think will help us to address it with some amount of compassion, but also a lot of um, truth telling, you know, a lot of, yeah, a lot of truth telling. Does that make sense? I think it makes it, it makes a lot of sense. I think that in order, you know, in order to do these things that are good for us, we have to know ourselves to know what those things are right? Mm -hmm. To know that silence in the morning or not having a smartphone is good for you. You had to know yourself and which Mm -hmm. means you had to to kind of do some of that unpacking. Um, And I guess all I would say to our, to our listeners is that you don't have to do that unpacking alone, right? Mm -hmm. And that if you're nervous about that or don't know how to start, um, that is what really fantastic therapists are for or spiritual directors or coaches or safe friends, right? Mm -hmm. Um, that's why we live in community and with other people. And, um, and so you, I, I guess that's all I would say, cause I think sometimes people can be like, okay, I want to do that. And I don't know where to start, or that's really intimidating because I know, I know a little bit about what's behind that door and I'm, a, I'm afraid to open that door. And mm-hmm. I would just say like, you don't ever, you don't ever have to do that alone. Um, you know, mm-hmm. and there are beautiful resources such as uh, Black liturgies, that can be really good grounding pieces and reminders and guideposts if you don't have that community, right? To remind you and and find you and encourage you throughout the day. So um, I am so appreciative of your time today, Cole, and for you taking the time to just share with us a little bit about your journey and some of your uh, ways that you've cultivated this pace of perseverance, because it's clearly as I talked to you, it's been beneficial for you. And I can see how in your work, it is continuing to impact um, many people. So I'm really thankful for that. And I'm really looking forward to your book that's coming out next year (laughs) and um, hope that folks will take the opportunity to to check you, check that out and, and look at the book. So thank you again for joining us today. Thank you. Glad, glad to um, have this conversation.